the book of Joshua, chapters 13 through 19. You did not read that wrong. But I will, for the first time uh, in my tenure as the pastor of this church, not read every verse of every chapter listed. Now, the reason um, why I am not doing that is because I do want to reserve some time to preach, and it would probably take me a good 25 minutes to read all of that, at least. Um, And the reason we're taking it as a whole stated positively is uh, because it is one section that is to be read almost as a kind of not will and testament as someone is dying, but in light of uh, the victory of Israel, uh, here then are the allotments of the inheritances of the tribes of Israel. And so, in chapters 13 through 19, those allotments are made. So I'm going to read just a selection of things that I think will help bring out the points that I will make in my sermon this evening And then next week, we'll pick up on that particular idea of what the cities of refuge were, the cities of the Levites, because the Levites did not have for themselves an individual inheritance as a tribe. And then we'll continue on from there. So, turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 13. I'll read verses 1 through 14 of that chapter, and then I'm just going to jump to various sections. I'll tell you what they are. You'll have to turn quickly. Joshua chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. There's still some, of course. This is the land that yet remains, all the territory of the Philistines and all that of the Geshurites from Sior, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron, northward, which is counted as Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashtadites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, and the Ekronites, also the Avites from the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Mira that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Aphek, to the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon toward the sunrise, from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon as far as the entrance to Hamath. All the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon as far as the brook of Mizraphoth, and all the Sidonians, them I will drive out from before the children of Israel, only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. Verse 8, with the other half-tribe, the Rumanites and the Gadites, received their inheritance which Moses had given them, beyond the Jordan eastward as Moses the servant of the Lord had given them, from Aroir, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain of Medeba, as far as Dibon, all the cities of Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of children of Ammon, Gilead, and the border of the Gershurites, the Machathites, all Mount Hermon, and all Bashan, as far as Salka, 
all the king of Og and Bashan who reigned in Ashtaroth and Edri, who reigned, I'm sorry, who remained of the remnant of the giants for Moses had defeated and cast out these. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Gersherites or the Machathites, but the Gesherites and the Machathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. Only to the tribe of Levi he had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord of God, the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. Now, if you would like, later this evening, you may continue through these particular sections. Turn to chapter 14. So in chapter 13, the land is divided to the east. You remember Gad and Rumid and a half-tribe of Manasseh settles east of the Jordan. West of the Jordan is what we find in chapters 14 through 19, verses 1 through 5. I'm taking selections. These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded, by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half-tribe, for Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land, except cities to dwell in, with their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Now, turn to chapter 15. The dividing is going on here in these chapters, and then we get to chapter 15, verse 63, and this is an indication of how oftentimes the Israelites failed to drive out the remaining pagan tribes. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah, could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. This day being sometime in the reign or the um, time of, of Samuel. And then chapter 16, verse 10. As it relates to the Ephraimites, or the tribe of Ephraim, rather, not the Ephraimites, And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwell in Gezer. But the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. And then in chapter 17, beginning in verse 14, Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit, since we are a great people inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are of Beth Shean and its towns and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall also be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and they are strong. 
18, verses 1 through 7. Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there. And the land was subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord your God has or the, the, which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Pick out from among you three men from each tribe, and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites have no part among you, for their priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. The rest of the allotments are then given in chapter 18 and chapter 19. And the last section that I will read uh, is that inheritance given to Joshua, beginning in verse 49 of chapter 19. When they had made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked for, Timnath, Sarah, in the mountains of Ephraim, and he built the city and dwelt in it. These were the inheritance which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided as an inheritance by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they made an end of dividing the country. As far as the reading of God's word, let me pray for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, tonight we come to your word and we would ask that you might speak, that you might take these ancient records these things penned by your Son through the Spirit, given so that we might know, Lord, your plan and purposes for all flesh. Lord, give us wisdom as we come into your presence and hear your word preached. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, that took 10 minutes. <laughs> I guess it would be closer to 35 minutes. All right. Now, I'm not saying that these sections of Scripture are not important. Um, I, my point is, number one, <clears throat> I think by the end of reading these sections aloud, I'd be exhausted simply by seeking to pronounce all the names. Now, these, many of these names are strange to us, not just because we cannot pronounce them. Part of it is maybe some of us have never read these names, and even if we have read them several times, we still struggle to go from one syllable to the next. And not only are the names at times strange to us, but the times themselves are strange. And we wonder, why are we reading and hearing this preached from at all? In fact, I've heard pastors from the pulpit turning to the Old Testament, apologize to the congregation for going to the Old Testament, which is a shame. For all scripture is God-breathed and is therefore profitable. And so we need to read and preach from all of it. Now, these seven chapters 
Though they are strange to us and it feels as though they are not important, I will tell you this. If you are of these tribes, they were incredibly important to you. Because this was how the inheritance that was promised to them was divided after a lot of war. And so the first 12 chapters of Joshua, in my mind, have gone by very quickly. And there was a lot of bloodshed, a lot of conflict, a lot of grief. And yet God is faithful to his promises. And Joshua having led Israel and triumphed over 31 kings already. Now, according to the instruction of the Lord, divides the land among the people. Two points that I want to make. Number one, take, take what has been given to you. Second, the inheritance allotted to the saints. One is a call to action. The other is a reflection, a reminder of what it is that has actually been given to us. Number one, Take what has been given to you. Much conquest has been made. Joshua has done much conquering. He has done much according to the will of God. Israel has been, in the most part, faithful to obey. Joshua 7 records an act of unfaithfulness of one man, his family, and the curse that it brought upon the whole nation. God dealt with that in such a way as to exhort and encourage godly fear in the hearts of all of Israel. And then another oops by Israel is found in Joshua chapter 9. In Joshua chapter 9, the Gibeonites come to Israel and they pretend to be a nation that does not dwell near or would be near the borders of the land that Israel was taking. And instead of consulting God to ask what they should have done, Israel goes ahead with this unwise covenant with the Gibeonites. Now these moments of sin and failure remind us of whom? Reformation OPC. Us. Every covenant people of God in every age endeavoring to walk or should I say, what is it that children do as toddlers? They kind of grab onto things, seeking support. They kind of waddle. (laughs) Cruise, is that what it's called? I can't remember. It doesn't, it's kind of like walking, but not quite. They were like a child, learning to obey and walk with their heavenly father. There were moments of disobedience and defeat. There were moments of obedience and great victory. Israel was in no way unique as a people, other than they were chosen by God. In fact, they were chosen because they were little. And God chose to work his power among them so that it might be said it was God who was doing something great through them. This was the confession of Rahab, in fact. The question now becomes... Having experienced such great victory, what will they do now that the inheritance has come? Now that they are being established in the land, will they walk in faithfulness with God? Will they continue what God has begun through his servant, Joshua the Deliverer? There is still land that needs to be conquered. 
There are still tribes that need to be driven out. In some instances, the Israelites failed in that moment to drive those people out. That does not mean they should have given up. In fact, at the beginning of the section in chapter 13, we see that the Philistines remain. If you'll remember, the Philistines were a real problem for Israel for many, many years to come and were in fact not defeated until 2 Samuel chapter 6 when David, the second king of Israel, defeated them. Will they continue what God had through Joshua and even Israel had begun? Not only had tri- or there were tribes that were um, in need of continuing to be driven out, But there was work that was left to be done. One tribe, we read, comes to Joshua and says, we don't have enough land, we're too big. And what does Joshua say? Then cut down trees. In fact, oftentimes the disposition to receiving an inheritance is what? Well, have you ever seen how the vultures circle? When the will is about to be read? When someone with great wealth has died... And the lesser sire or the sons of a greater sire circle around and the attorney is there with the will in the manila envelope and he with all fear and trembling opens the envelope and begins to read the terms of the will. It is easy, it is very easy for anyone having seen God do incredible things to think that, well, Now that God has promised this great inheritance, will it not simply just come to us? No, there are trees to be cut. There is land to be tilled. In fact, the giving of the law in the book of Deuteronomy was to be followed where? In the land. Israel was to be a functioning society with Christ, the king, at the top. There were tribes that needed to be cast out. In fact, at one point, there are tribes that come to Joshua and say, where is our inheritance? And he says, you haven't even asked for it until now. What are you doing? Make it happen. It reminds me to some degree of when God calls the people of well, his people in various periods of time in history to go forth into all the world and they just sort of stick to one place. Israel, in the Old Testament, was to finish what the Lord had begun in the early parts of Joshua and not just continue the warfare to driving out those pagan, foreign, wicked tribes or to put them to the sword, but to continue to walk in covenant faithfulness. It was to finish. It was to complete. Now, this touches upon an important theme that flies in the face of modernity as we think about how things ought to be done and how we ought to expect them in terms of time. And I'll make a point that I think is evident in the whole of Scripture. The kingdom of God was never meant to come all at once. And the reason I know that is this. When God made all things in the beginning, how many people did he put in the garden? Two. Very good. 
Two. <laughs> two. A man and a woman. And those two would at some point become three. And so on, and so on, and so on. Now, it actually is quite amazing how populations can grow when they are committed to population growth. But it is still a laborious, even prior to sin, a laborious task. Not because work would have been frustrated by the fall, but because there was simply work to be done. Adam was to go out of the garden and begin to take dominion of those wild lands and countries, as it were, beyond Eden. And Eve, or the woman, not yet Eve, was to nurture, was to establish, was to assist, was to make beautiful all of those things that would be annexed into the garden. <clears throat> would that have taken a long time? Absolutely. Is that bad? No. It is the way of creatures. It is the way that God established. The creation mandate would have taken millennia to fulfill even without sin. And the Great Commission, how many years even now have we labored since the New Testament church, the giving of the Great Commission, which is not unlike the creation mandate? Now 2,000, 2,000 years. But they are like to the Lord, but a moment. Why would our mission take so long? I've put this question to some of the young students in my classes. Why so long? Well, number one, it teaches those who labor for that very thing to trust in the Lord, to be patient and wait upon him. And so that one generation may not say to the generations who have come before them, we did it. We made it happen. But no. In fact, what are the generations of God's chosen people called to do? from one generation to the next to declare the loving kindness, the steadfast love of God. So that what we can see from Adam and Eve to now is Christ building a glorious kingdom devoted to his honor and glory, and yet one point remains. We still have a lot of work to do. And we who are in very many ways, like Israel of the Old Testament, having seen God do great works of deliverance through the new covenant Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, who has won a great victory for the church, has now said to his people, here it is. Go get it. Run after your inheritance. Run after it. Go for it. And the question is put to us, will we be part of what Christ has begun? J.I. Packer, in his book, The Knowledge of God, The Doctrine of God, we did it in a Bible study. Knowing God. Thank you, George. Sometimes my questions are rhetorical. Sometimes you pick up on the fact that I really need help. <laughs> 
in knowing God, he begins with the illustration about those who stand in the balconies and they watch the parade go by and they only watch, but they're not down there in the throng. And so too are many who call themselves Christians but are not involved in the work of the mission of the church. They are not marching forward in the building of the kingdom of God. They are but participants from a distance. Christ says to his apostles, go therefore into all the world to do what? To spread the glory, the fame, the power, the effect of Christ's resurrected lordship. And this is what Israel was to do in the land. It is an Old Testament expression of something even more glorious that we see today. Now, did you look in your home missions? Did you read this? Read it. I would encourage you to. And this is what you're going to find. Somebody visited our church. Awesome. Right? There are no half people. So at minimum in the OPC, we'll get one visitor. <laughs> right? One And you know what we do? We tell the whole denomination about the one person that's been visiting our church. And we think, what about 30? Now, the problem with 30 is what? The pastor could never remember all their names. So you don't want 30 people showing up all at once. I mean, I guess it's a good problem to have. My point is, when you look at these, these little glimpses, little slices in time... They are all testimonies of the saints rejoicing in plotting victory of Christ's resurrected glory over death, hell, and the grave. There are four women in our congregation, by God's grace, who will give birth to covenant children. I mean, now that... Is like those are like mega church numbers, right? We got four babies coming, and we should go. Yes, what the Lord is is doing something mighty. It is evidence of what Christ's victory over the grave. It isn't just well. That's what happens. That isn't what just happens. These are not just children. These are children born to confessing parents. They are gifts of God's covenant mercy. And we look at it and we go, this is testimony of something. Now, if people were to go back and look at our little prayer directory and go, okay, I see a bunch of women's names. They're about to have kids or maybe someone's about to join the church and they see the emails. So-and-so's getting, they'll go, you just pass right over it. But these are numbers, these are names that are not unlike the names and numbers that we find right here. This is our inheritance. And I'll say this much, to the grandparents of those babies, it's incredibly exciting, right? Christ has arranged all that is necessary. The question for us is, will we run to reach the goal? Will we run to reach the goal? Now, secondly, as it relates to taking what has been given to us, 
The question is, what has been given to us? And that is what we find, the inheritance allotted to the saints. And we see that in chapters 14 through 19 and part of 13. We see the allotments to the tribes, Reuben, Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh. Those are the east side folks. The west side people are all seen in chapters 14, verse 1 through chapter 19, except Levi. And then there's some math that is unique because some tribes are combined with other tribes. Levi's inheritance was what? The richness of the house of God. Their inheritance was the house of God. And they were to be interspersed among the various tribes. And again, I didn't read that that entire section, but I would say this. It was very important to these people. This was how they knew where to live. This was the setting out of the borders. And this is what Joshua, through Christ, had given to them. What has Christ given to us? Every tribe, tongue, and nation. Simply put, there is no stretch of geography where you can settle on earth that Christ has not promised to his people. Otherwise, who would be king? If he is king of heaven and earth, what kings can remain? And as many kings as Joshua has brought under the sword, how many kings has Christ laid low? Well, is it not Christ in Joshua anyway? But even Christ himself in the church that is the New Testament church, how many kings have come and gone, as I said this morning, And the question then for us is what? Will we be part of what Christ has begun? Joshua is saying to Israel, softball, here it is. Okay, maybe not a softball. But you're here. Here's the house. Go sweep the floors. Go dust the furniture. Go care for it. Be good stewards of what God has given. When we are brought into the fellowship of Almighty God and the the covenant people of God, God says to us, welcome. You have arrived. Now get to work. Run to reach the goal. And the question for us, in fact, the question that is often the, the dilemma as the young get older And they get into their teen years, and then they get into their 20s. The question for them is, what will my identity be? To what degree will I be devoted to the mission and work of the church? And the question that they're actually grasping with and wrestling with is, the Lord is saying to them, do you want to be part of this? Especially our young children have been raised in the church. Are you ready to take ownership? And it's not unlike ownership of a car. I love having wheels. The 16-year-old says. 17-year-old. Maybe eight. Who knows? That's the good news. I got a car. What's the bad news? Tag, title, gas, 
all the things that go into making sure that car can go from point A to point B. Christ says, here is your inheritance. I have assured in my death, burial, and resurrection, I have guaranteed this outcome. The question for us, as saints even today, is will we be part? Will we lay hold? Will we cut the timber on the side of the mountain? Will we actually finally get rid of those Philistines and those Canaanites? Will we do it? Will we, be- or will we complete what God has begun? This is the now and not yet of God's covenantal promises. It's the tension. Christ says, I have prepared a place for you. Christ has given us also the Great Commission. The challenge for us in this particular age is that we live among a people that want it now, or at least faster, or simpler, right? Just hit the easy button. I think that's staples. There's no easy button in the kingdom. Now, the building of the church and the ingredients and the mechanism is very, very simple. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, honor your parents. Avail yourself of the means of grace. It is so simple. But boy, is it difficult. In the sense that it is never, ever easy. For there is a war that wages in our flesh. There is a war that comes from without. Even in the church, there's a little bit of, you know, just infighting at times. And we got to let that stuff go or it'll eat us up or we'll look like the world. But what Christ has begun, he has bound the strong man. He has done what only he could do. And now he says to the people, to the 12 tribes of the New Testament church, as it were, to us, run after the prize. Run after the goal. For us, the promise is what? That our running is never in vain. And though it may not seem to avail much, Christ is the one that brings the fruit. Israel was exiled ultimately because they failed to keep covenant with God. Obedience is integral. Obedience to the law of God, obedience to the revelation of God. All with this great promise. If we are faithful, we will be richly rewarded. Now that promise does not obfuscate the free offer of the gospel. And what it does, in fact, is give those who hold fast to the gospel a reason to wake up in the morning. Every morning I get up and I think, I need coffee. <laughs> and then, let's take over the world. <laughs> Something in that, like that. Let's get busy. Let's run Let us run for the prize that is set before us. Let's pray.